This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 50, and we are recording on October 11th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. It's the afternoon, which is weird. Yeah, I don't know where whether I'm coming or going today. <laughs> we usually record Tuesday mornings at like 10. Right. Um, we have a is, nice routine. I have my yeah. coffee, and now I'm just like, what day is it? <laughs> it's fine. I don't know. It's cold outside? It's fine. Yay. Sweaters. We have sweaters. <laughs> I and chili, right? The chili is Yes, the man. I made first chili. I think last show, I talked about how I had made the first roast chicken, and now I'm talking about how I've made the first chili. Welcome to the Food Network. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, tonight is my first chili of the season, so I'm super yes. on board with this plan. Do um, it. I have I no segue. A, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was continuing on the food thing. Oh. That I have a recipe for spaghetti, like a roasted spaghetti squash with like a cheese thing what? on top that I'm going to try gonna, tonight that looks really good. Yeah, I'm going to need to hear more about that some other time. Um... Okay, no segue, but I do <laughs> want to remind you that Book Riot Live is like a month away, which is amazing, uh, but you can still get your tickets, and you can still get them for $20 off if you use code JAZZHANDS when you check out. You should come join us. Go to bookriotlive.com to see all the glorious details. Oh, sorry. I couldn't figure. I, I muted so I could talk, <laughs> and then I couldn't unmute. Okay, so how the show works. Uh, like I mentioned, this is a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. So you write into us with your reading recommendation request, whether it's a book for you, you've, you know, you've read a book like you read Harry Potter and you want something to fill that void, or it's for your book club or for a gift you want to give someone, or you're going on a trip somewhere and want to read books that take place in that setting, whatever, uh, send it all to us and we will answer it on the show. You can send them to us at uh, email, through email at goodbook.bookriot.com, or you can drop them into the form at the bottom of all the show notes on the site. If it's time sensitive, please note it in the subject line or at the very top of your request so that we uh, can hopefully answer it on time. Also worth mentioning that we started to get repeat questions because we're on, you know, our 50th episode. And so if your question has been answered on the air a few times already, we will email you your response uh, instead of making you wait until everyone has forgotten that your question was asked. Um, So that is how it works. So we're going to get to our first question and then I will talk about our first sponsor and we will motor on. So. All right. Our first question is from Laurel. Hi there, I recently found out that I'm expecting twin boys. My husband and I live in D.C., which can have a bit of a patriarchy complex, so we're looking for books that can help us raise feminist boys, either adult books that we can read or children's books that we can read to them. Any recommendations? Amanda, I know you've been here before. If you have any general book recommendations for twin parents or twins themselves, we'd love those as well. Do I ever? <laughs> I do, I do. Uh, but first, do. we are going to talk about our first sponsor, which is tryaudiobooks.com. And I don't know if any of you out there are like this, but I certainly listen to a lot of audiobooks while I'm cooking. I love to cook. I'm, like, obsessed with cooking. Um, and now, of course, we're going into the season. As we can tell, so that's all I could talk about, apparently, in our opening. Uh, we're going into the season of, like, lo- spending a lot of time in the kitchen because the holidays are coming up, and it's, like, man, it's roasting food season. Anyway, I'm, like, getting all down this rabbit hole. Um, so <laughs> if you listen to audiobooks while you cook, tryaudiobooks.com slash 
cooking has some great recommendations for things to listen to that are kind of that are like either directly or tangentially food related um, that are just great picks for listening to while you're in the kitchen. You can do Cooking for Picasso. There's the City Baker's Guide to Country Living, which is a great book. Um, they also recommend Where Am I Now, which is by Mara Wilson, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with. She played Matilda uh, in the movie and has now written a memoir and will also be a book right live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, I don't even know if they know that. And they just included it in all of this. Uh, stuff that they sent us. But another handy thing is that if you go to tryaudiobooks.com slash cooking, they have a recommendation engine that will recommend a book to you based on how long you're going to be in the kitchen or how long you're going to be doing whatever. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be cooking related. But like if you're in for a long haul making 14 pies for Thanksgiving and you know you're going to be stuck in the kitchen for three hours, you can put in three hours and they will recommend a book to you based on that time frame, which I thought was really handy. So go to tryaudiobooks.com slash cooking and you can get a free download. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. <clears throat> twin boys. Feminist twin boys. This is my wheelhouse. So for the first part <laughs> of your question, I'm just going to keep going because mm-hmm. here I am. Um, so for the pers- first part of your question, feministy books to read to boys, um, my first pick for you is The Princess in Black series by Shannon Hale. And this is a couple of books. They're not... Um, they're a little old, like for older kids. I don't know. My boys are five and I've been reading them to them for about a year. So um, maybe tuck this one in your back pocket. But it is, they're so adorable. They are about a princess, Princess Magnolia, who is perfect. She has perfect hair and she always wears perfect pink dresses. And she's always very perfectly polite, except she is also secretly the princess in black. And, you know, princesses never wear black because that's not, that's not cool. And she like goes off and fights trolls and gets very dirty and is the hero. And it, they're amazing. And her sidekick is is a goat boy, like a shepherd, a little boy who's a shepherd, who is very scared of trolls and monsters and does not like getting dirty and would rather just um, not participate in any sort of dueling or fighting. So it's got a lot of interesting gender stuff going on. Um, and obviously it's a great pick if you have girls, but I also think it's a really great thing to read to little boys to help them you know, understand that like when I might when I started reading these to my kids, they were like I said, they were four years old and they had already gotten some weird kind of gender stuff just from watching cartoons or whatever. Um, and so when I start like the first time I read it, I remember one of my sons being like, but mommy, who's the hero? And I had to be like, she's the hero, you know, so um, and then they were like, oh, great. Like they totally accepted it. But it's the thing that, you know, it gets in there early. So it's a really great pick. So that's The Princess in Black by Shannon Hill. I love those. Okay, I just want to mention that we have a post about feminist picture books um, by one of our contributors, Brandy, from last year. I'll leave a link to it in the show notes, so there are even more recommendations there for you. Um, My first pick for you is one of my favorite intersectional board books, which is like, you know, the kind of cardboardy, super sturdy books you can give as um, baby shower presents, for example. Um, And it was the book I was always like, take this to the baby shower, because it's called Everywhere Babies by Susan Myers and illustrated by Marla Frazee. And it is a really adorable rhyming, it's not even really a story. It's like a rhyme about how there are babies everywhere and all the things that babies do. But the beautiful thing about this picture book is that those babies are literally all kinds of babies. So there's babies in pink and babies in blue and babies in pink and blue. And there's babies of different racial and ethnic ethnic types and there's different sets of parents so like there will be sometimes there's two daddies and sometimes there's two mommies and sometimes there's only one parent and there's just all different kinds of people portrayed in this picture book which is sadly so rare (laughs) um that you get that so 
And the illustrations are adorable. It's beautiful. It's really fun to read. Um, and it's just great. So as far as like, you know, starting them off on the right foot, like I feel like this is a must have for everyone's library. So that is Everywhere Babies by Susan Myers and illustrated by Marla Frazee. Okay, my second pick for you is the Olivia the Pig series by Ian Falconer, which is a series, obviously, like I just said, of books about Olivia the Pig. (laughs) She is a pig, but she's very obviously a little girl and has a little brother and is adorable. And is kind of like a bit of a brat, but there's an object lesson in every um, book about how her brattiness is like unacceptable, which I really appreciate. But in general, she just like dresses up, sings songs, builds sandcastles avoids napping, draws on the walls, <laughs> goes to the ballet, like all of this kind of stuff. Um, she, there, it's not like radically radical. What am I saying? It's not radical when it comes to gender norms or gender in general. Um, but part of in my personal opinion, which is what you asked for. So here we go. My personal opinion is that part <laughs> of raising feminist boys is exposing them to a lot of media that that's is about little girls um, because they'll get plenty of representation of their own selves in media as they get older. Uh, so just in like a, this is a great series of fun, interesting books about a little girl being cray cray. Um, that's why I love it so much. Um, and yeah, like there's no message. It's just, they're just fun and star girl who is a pig and wears a red dress. The drawings are really nice and eye catching, which is um, a thing that, mattered a lot to my kids because they're very easily distractible like they are that dog in that Pixar movie (laughs) squirrel shiny whatever Uh, but they were never really distracted from the Olivia books and they still love them uh, years later so uh, yeah Olivia the Pig by Ian Falconer yay Um, my second pick for you is a picture book which is like yeah like you can start reading them picture books when they're old enough not to just tear the pages to shreds Um, so whatever age that is it's different for everyone (laughs) and it is called Rosie Revere Engineer by Andrea Beatty uh, illustrations by David Roberts and it's about a little girl named Rosie Revere who dreams at night of all of the different things she's going to invent when she becomes a great engineer and then one day her great great aunt Rosie who is Rosie the Riveter which is just exciting, <laughs> comes for a visit and mentions that she wishes she could fly. And so little Rosie sets off to build a flying contraption. Um, it does have an object lesson like a lot of picture books. It's about, like, you know, trying your best and not being upset if it's not everything you imagined. Um, but it's also just, like, a book about a little girl who builds things, which sadly is enough to make it feminist, um, even without the Rosie the Riveter reference. So uh, it's really cute. The illustrations are really fun and, like, a little bit busy so you can be like oh find all the little things like that's a thing that um some of the kids that I are in my family like to do it's like if you can get them to find like little details in the pictures they sit still for longer so that is Rosie Revere Engineer by Andrea Beatty and David Roberts okay um before we move on you also mentioned that you were looking for general book recommendations for twin parents and so I wanted to throw out a book that I really really found very useful when I was pregnant with my twins, and it's called When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, or Quads by Barbara Luke and Tamara Emberline. And um, being pregnant with more than one baby is very obviously completely not the same as being pregnant with one child. You're, the, the amount of food you have to eat is different. Your weight gain regulations are different. How much activity you can engage in is different. Like, everything is more. <laughs> uh, you have to be more aware and uh, more mindful of what you're doing, obviously, because you're more high risk. And so there's a lot of information in this particular book that I remember about, like, how to eat. I mean, do, you know, obviously do what your doctor tells you. Mine in particular and all of the um, people in my, the OB practice that I went to had uh, a lot of advice about 
the weight gain. Like if you gain X amount of pounds in the first whatever amount of time of your pregnancy, your risk of um, having preterm multiples is, is much less. So this book focuses a lot on that, like how to gain the weight that you need to gain, stay rested um, so that you can make it to term, which is the, the goal when you're carrying multiples is making it to term. So I found it really useful. Some of the info in it's a little bit outdated, but you'll, you'll know what to disregard because you are a grown-up human being. So that's When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, or Quads by Barbara Luke and Tamara Aberleen. Okay, Godspeed. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> so this question number two is from Haley. She says, uh, this month I'm moving to Prague in the Czech Republic for one year and would really like to read up on the rise and fall of communism in Europe to get a sense of the history of the country. Stories specifically set in Czechoslovakia would be great, but I'm just hoping to get a picture of what life was like under communist rule in general. I'm hoping for a variety of memoir, nonfiction, and maybe historical fiction or some combination. Um, so that is from Haley. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, well, this is very history majory of me, but the first <laughs> book I recommend to you is Communism, A Very Short Introduction by Leslie Holmes. Because... It's true that the theory never looks like what it looks like in real life, but I always find that knowing the theory behind the political systems is super helpful to understand like what actually happened um, when people tried to put these into uh you know, practice. Um, and the very short introduction series is great. They have a, it's a whole series on different like political things. So they have a socialism and a fascism and capitalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they are very short. Uh, it's like 155 pages. It's meant to be readable. It's meant to like give you the basics without getting bogged down too much in like any specific one area. Um, and uh, and so this one, obviously, is about communism. Um, and it talks about, you know, uh, like the evolution of communism from Marx's time. It talks about the Bolshevik Revolution. It's got the collapse in 91. Like, it's got all of the different stuff. It talks about Mao. It's got all of the different uh, highlights version, as it were. So um, I feel like that might be helpful in, in as a pairing to whatever else, historical fiction or memoir, etc., you might be reading. So that is Communism, A Very Short Introduction by Leslie Holmes. Okay, my first pick for you is kind of a classic. Well, not kind of a classic. I guess it is a classic at this point, but it's The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. And this is such a weird little book, I gotta tell you. Um, well, not little. It's every 300 pages. A uh, normal book. It's about a couple, and the woman is in love with a man. Uh, he's a horrible womanizer. Um, so the book follows their relationship, and then also one of his mistresses is kind of a main character, and her lover who is not the main dude. This is, I know, confusing. So there are four, like four kind of sort of main characters. The main couple, his mistress, and his mistress's boyfriend sort of thing. And it all takes place in the 60s in communist Czechoslovakia. So uh, there's a lot going on <laughs> here. Um, and it's uh, kind of post, not kind of, it's postmodern. So it's not focused necessarily on telling the story of Czechoslovakia or or telling the story of Prague or even necessarily telling the story of these this like romantic what am I trying to like quadrilateral quadrangle that's not a word quadrilateral right four square yeah I'll go with square sure this romantic square um, <laughs> Kundera is instead telling you know the story of humanity and uh like kind of Nietzschean existential dilemmas of of relationships and romance in general and how we interact with each other as a society, like big, huge, giant questions wrapped up in a lot of sex and also a lot of communism. So it's not, uh, well, I suppose it would be considered, 
historical fiction because it, it was first published in like the early 80s and it takes place in the 60s. So if, if you think a 20 year gap is enough for something to be historical fiction, then there you go. Um, but it, it was still pretty contemporary. Also, the oh, I forgot to mention the translator is uh, Michael Henry Heim. Anyway, um, so it's I'm like trying. There's like nothing happens. <laughs> like I'm trying to explain a plot that is like, yeah, truly nothing like, happens. Doesn't exist because it's people like have feelings at each other for a while. Yeah, and then and walk around and like there's there actually is a bit of like revolutionary violence that happens, but it's very much in the background. Like the book is not about communism or dictatorship or anything. It's it's about like people feeling their feelings against this backdrop of like violence and and strife. So uh, much like low-key, low-key communism, if that's what you're interested <laughs> that's in. That's the show title. title. <laughs> low-key communism and also like lots of doing it. So there you go. That, but it's a classic and, you know, postmodern, um, what am I trying to say? Like, like really good sentences. He's got great sentences, lots of things that you'll probably want to get tattooed on your body. But the, as a whole, the, the reading experience is very strange because this is a tumultuous thing that's happening, but like nothing happens it's a it's a sleight of hand it's kind of a marvel so that's the unbearable lightness of being by milan kundera um my second pick for you is a collection of letters uh it is by vaclav havel and it's called open letters selected writings from 1965 to 1990 and um if you're not familiar he is very important uh to czechoslovakia he was a writer who then became a political figure um and was i think the first president if that's correct um first elected president rather um and this is a collection of his uh letters that include um, someone he was imprisoned under the communist dictatorship um, and a lot of them are only in English for the first time in this collection of course this collection has been out since like 1992 but still mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's a super smart interesting guy um, who became very important to the political situation of the country um, and started out as a writer which I think is very interesting and so the letters are just kind of, I mean, it's like you get a peek into the mind of this man who became part of a country's history. So I thought that would be super interesting. Um, and I'm sure that there's lots of references to places uh, in, you know, the Czech Republic that you might be able to then, like, notice when you're there. Who knows? So that is Open Letters, Selected Writings from 1965 to 1990 by Vaclav Havel. And the translator is Paul Wilson. Okay, my, <clears throat> excuse me, my second pick for you is Madeleine Albright's uh, memoir slash history. It's called Prague Winter, A Personal Story of Remembrance and War, uh, 1937 to 1948, again by Madeleine Albright. Um, if you're unfamiliar, Madeleine Albright was the first female Secretary of State uh, in the U.S., but she was actually born in Czechoslovakia. And so she grew up there for, you know, her childhood <laughs> and was in Czechoslovakia when the Nazis invaded. And so her memories are of that and then, you know, the Battle of Britain Holocaust, like the book follows the Czechoslovakian, mostly Prague, most takes place in Prague, but it follows the Czechoslovakian story from the invasion of the Nazis through the Allied victory and the rise of communism and then, you know, the, the beginning of the Cold War. And so she has personal memories, obviously, and those of her family who she interviews and letters from her parents. Um, but she also interviews contemporaries, people her age who also fled uh, Czechoslovakia when the Nazis invaded and managed to survive. Uh, newly available uh, primary documents from the government that from the Czechoslovakian government that um, you know were not available, which is the definition of newly available. Um, and so she does this this really interesting thing by like weaving her own memories of her family fleeing and what her life was like 
before that very startling line of her, her home country being invaded. Um, and then also years later, after she had left and was an adult living in the U.S., she discovered that her family actually had Jewish heritage. And so their escape from the Nazi invasion took on this whole new weight. Um, she goes through a lot of Czechoslovakia's history. So it's not just about communism. That's obviously like toward the later part of the book. But if you're interested in Czechoslovakian history as a whole, this will put it in context of, of how Czechoslovakia became not like ripe for the taking because that has like really negative and weird connotations, but you, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, so that is Prague Winter, A Personal Story of Remembrance and War by Madeline Albright. Now all I have running through my head is that line from Clue, communism was just a red, <laughs> red herring. herring. <laughs> uh, okay, next question is, is this the same person? Also from Haley. Um, I don't think it is. Perhaps I, a different Haley. The Yeah, oh, this person is going on a cruise, so it must be different. Um, okay, question is, I read pretty voraciously across lots of genres. I particularly love and collect veterinary memoirs. My favorites are the James Harriet books and then a bunch of others. Um, can you recommend some good vet mo- memoirs or similar books for me? I prefer a balance between the funny and sad, i.e. not too much sadness, and I'm not a huge fan of self-published books. Also, I know a lot of the titles in this genre are terrible puns, but I don't let that stop me from reading it. All right. So I'm um, going to go first. Um, I kind of went sideways a little bit with this um, because you said good vet memoirs or similar. <laughs> and so I am holding down the similar end on this one um, because all of the books, I haven't read most of the vet memoirs you've mentioned. And on top of it, most of the books I've read about animals are super sad, but there's a couple that I think would fit really well with what you're looking for. So the first one is called The Boilerplate Rhino, Nature in the Eye of the Beholder, and it's by David Quammen. It's an, a collection of essays um, and I've talked about him on the show before. I'm a huge fan of his. He was a writer who got a monthly column for Outside Magazine, and he could write about literally whatever he wanted in the natural world. And so this is 26 of his essays from that column, and they are just amazing. Like, he goes and talks to rattlesnake handlers in Texas, and, like, he goes to, like, a lizard racing thing, and there's a dinosaur museum, and then he goes to Indonesia for the durian fruit. Um, There are some things that are not animal-specific in here, but the vast majority of them are actually about animals in, like, both man-made and natural habitats. And the tone is so entertaining. It's really funny, oftentimes, He's very self-reflective, and he does a good job of creating, you know, bringing to life the characters of the people who he's talking to and interviewing in the course of writing this column. Um, So much like I imagine most of your vet memoirs are, like, you're getting all these stories about people and animals that are engaging and fun to read, and I think this fits that really, really well. So, and you learn so much, I mean so much, uh, by reading it. So that is The Boilerplate Rhino by David Quammen. Okay, my first pick is If Wishes Were Horses by Loretta Gage, which I read, I think, in elementary or middle school way too early to be reading this book. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I know. Because, you know, like, a lot of kids go through that wanting to be a veterinarian oh, yeah. thing. So I checked out all these memoirs, and then I read this one, and this is the last one that I read. Like, and then I was done. Because <laughs> it changed my mind. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so the author, Loretta Gage... It's uh, attended the uh, College of Veterinary Medicine at CSU, Colorado State University. And what's interesting about this memoir is that she was poor. And so unlike a lot of her other classmates who are attending and, you know, they all have, you know, it's, it's basically medical school. So there's like really brutally long hours. Your lecture load is bananas. You've got lab classes, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but she also brought the challenges of being working class and not necessarily being able to, uh, you know, afford her tuition all the time, like her, her classmates kind of could. And so she, you follow her through all of that, which is the thing that I related to because I did not grow up in a family that could have afforded to send me to veterinary school anyway. Um, the thing about this memoir that I appreciate as an adult, but when I was, you know, 10 or whenever scared me, is that it's very, like, just brutally honest about the process of becoming a large animal vet. So um, there's obviously, like, a hospital that operates out of, the, out of CSU's uh, veterinary college, and so you read, like, so many stories about animals dying or um, being sick and then being put down so they could be used as uh, like used as specimens for the students, that kind of thing. I, I have very like vivid memories of her anecdotes about like impregnating cows and what that that particular thing is like. Like my mental image of the glove that goes all the way up to your shoulder. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think that was the moment when I was like, "JK, this is Maybe not this not. is not what I want to do." But it's still so fascinating. Like the things that vet students have to go through. To, to get, to graduate is like, I don't, I don't know, for some reason it boggles my mind even more than the things that like human doctors have to go through to get their MDs, uh, maybe because it's just like stuff I had never considered. Um, so yeah, that, like you go through the, the emergency room in the school, the hospital barn, what she has to do with her daily rounds, how she pays for it, all that stuff. It's kind of heart-wrenching, but also very fascinating. So that's If Wishes Were Horses, the subtitle is The Education of a Veterinarian by Loretta Gage. All right, my second pick for you, I had in mind, but then I was trying to find you a memoir, but then I, I kept coming across it when I was looking at, like, veterinarians talking about what books they recommended, so I put it on here anyway. Um, and it is Animals Make Us Human, Creating the Best Life for Animals by Temple Grandin uh, with Katherine Jones. And you might have heard of Temple Grandin. She's kind of a big deal. Um, she is an animal scientist who is also autistic, and, like, she herself has really changed the way that autism is viewed in America um, and has done a ton of advocacy work. But she, like, she is also a really renowned animal scientist who has had a huge impact on um, that field as well. And this book is about, like, giving the animals in our lives the best and happiest life for them, um, which is not always what we think it should be. Um, so she is talking about, you know, like... She's talking about dogs and cats and farm animals and zoo animals and horses and pigs and whatever. Um, and is also thinking about, like, challenging our assumptions about animal behavior and, like, how she sees the animal-human bond. Um, and like I said, this would, like this just kept popping up as I was researching this question on books that veterinarians were recommending. So I thought it might be a nice addition to your reading. So And also, she's just, like, amazing. Everybody should know about <laughs> Temple Grandin. Uh, so that is Animals Make Us Human by Temple Grandin. Okay, my second pick is Appointments at the Ends of the World, uh, Memoirs of a Wildlife Veterinarian by William B. Koresh. Uh, Koresh was a founding director of the Wildlife Conservation Society's Field Veterinary Program, um, and which works out of the Bronx Zoo in New York. And so he gets called out like to make house calls on wildlife in need of veterinary care across the world. So this is kind of like a combination veterinary memoir, armchair travel memoir, if that's a thing that you are into. Um, and so he does the, it's a similar ex reading experience as If Wishes Were Horses, wherein you get like very blunt and descriptive stuff about like the blood and guts stuff about caring for animals. But in this one, it's like a rhino, a big wild cat, like a lion, that kind of thing. Um, and it's, 
almost not more interesting, but interesting in a different way because these are animals that not just normal people are unfamiliar with necessarily, but that like veterinary medicine is maybe not entirely familiar with. So he has to make stuff up kind of as he's going. We, I mean, they have, like, you know, the knowledge of what to do to care for an injured lion or whatever. But there's all the added difficulties of, like, how to tranquilize it and how to transport it. And, like, where do I live when I'm out here in the middle of the savanna caring for animals that could possibly kill me? It's it's different than, you know, like, caring for a horse or a cat at your own house. Um, so there, it's, like, adventure slash travel slash dealing with elephants there's a lot going on here (laughs) but it's a lot of fun and he's very blunt and open and honest about what his experiences are like and um it's a side of veterinary medicine that you don't necessarily get to see a lot of so that's appointments at the ends of the world ends plural by william koresh okay moving on still you four yeah Mm -hmm. question four is from brenna she says i'm looking for a collection of horror short stories to read during october uh, I browsed the site and couldn't quite find what I'm looking for. I'm not picky about subject matter, but I'm looking for something I can enjoy in small pieces as I don't tend to like novel-length horror books. As always, diversity is appreciated. Okay. Um, I will just keep going because I'm still talking. So my first pick is Ghost Summer by Tanaravi Du. And I... Man, ooh, I love this so much. Obviously, it's horror short stories. They all take place in and around a little town in Florida called Gracetown. Uh, and they go back and forth in time. So there are some stories that take place during, um, like, the Civil War. There are some stories that take place during, like, Jim Crow, some that take place right now. Um, The horror in these books come from both um, supernatural elements, ghosts, demons that possess babies in a really creepy way, uh, weird monsters that, like, come out of the swamp for you kind of stuff, uh, but also people who are just kind of the worst because a lot of this is about racism um, and slavery and all of that. So there's it's, it's like a double-edged horror sword. But if you're the kind of horror reader, like, I feel like if you can't read a horror, a novel-length horror book, then you probably don't want to deal with, like, a lot of gore or any of that. And, and that's not really what this kind of horror is about. So if you don't like being super terrified, I did not find any of these super terrified. I found them are like chilling um, and creepy, but still definitely horrifying. Um, just without blood, which is kind of nice. So that's Ghost Summer, stories by Tana, Tanana Ravi Du. Sorry, I said it wrong the first time. Uh, my first pick for you is a book that I had to put down because it was too scary for me. So, <laughs> so you know... That. Um, but it sounds like you're into your horror, so you might be fine. It's called The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All by Laird Barron, who I have seen read, and he was wearing an eye patch at the time, like, for medical reasons, but I was like, boy, this is this is a Halloween reading if ever I have been to one. Um, it was great, actually. Uh, so I can listen to him read them, but I can't read them myself. Um, and this collection has a big range. So, like, there's this one story that, that was the one that I had. To, I was, like, reading it on the subway, and I, like, slowly closed the book and, like, stuck it in my bag and spent the rest of the subway ride trying not to think about it. Um, That's, like, (laughs) this person is out in the forest and there's, like, a weird creature that's, like, stalking him and I was like, I can't read it. Um, So that kind of thing. Um, There's, like, you know, kind of Lovecraftian, like, ancient invader gods that live under the sea or whatever. Um, There's (laughs) some... Or whatever. There's... There's some, like, espionage and noir-y stuff. It's a, there's a lot of different kinds of things. Uh, Baron is really good with words. Like, his sentences are beautiful, which is not always, like, a lot of 
her novels are very plot driven. Um, and it's not that there's not plot here, but he also is a wordsmith. Um, so there's a lot of like beautiful sentences that are about terrifying things. Uh, is probably the best way I can describe that, yes. So that is the collection called The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All by Laird Barron. Good luck. Oh, yes. <laughs> Godspeed. Um, so my second one is North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrid, which, similar, there were a few stories in this collection that I did not finish because, blah. <laughs> and if I could make that a show title, I would. Blah. I know. Uh, <laughs> just ugh, scary. Um, so it has one of the best werewolf short, like story, not just short stories, but like tales that I've ever read. And I, I like, is that a pun, Amanda? Tales? Oh no, unintentional punning. (laughs) Man, my puns are usually very intentional and bad. (laughs) I can't believe I missed that. Oh, I'm going to go kick rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, um, and what else? Is, what was this? Oh, the werewolf thing. Yeah. Oh man, it's so weird because you never actually. The, okay, so the the werewolf story. I'm like focus. I'm like focused on this one right now. The werewolf story is about a a guy, like a working class guy, who encounters a werewolf who attacks his friends, and he runs away from the scene because he realizes there's nothing he can do. Um, and then, of course, no one believes him, and uh, his friends are dead. Their families blame him because. He, they feel like he's lying or making stuff up and he did nothing to try to save them and all of this. And so he has to, it's less about the attack and more about what happens to this guy after as he slowly loses everything he loves because he won't um, make up some story. He just like still believes what he saw, right? Um, and so it's less like the, the horrifying thing isn't the monster. And this is true of a lot of the stories. The horrifying thing isn't the monster. The horrifying thing is watching the fear of the monster destroy people. And so many of his stories in here are like that. And so I had to put stuff down because they were both creepy, but also like really emotionally affecting and like heartbreaking um, at at the same time as they have like zombies and stuff. (laughs) So that's North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrid. (laughs) Go go with God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, my second pick for you is a... Literary magazine collection. Uh, there is this whole series from Lightspeed and Nightmare magazine where they're that they're doing like destroy. So like for example, this one is called Queers Destroy Horror, which is just great. Um, and it's a special issue featuring like entirely queer authors of of, of horror stories, which I just think is fantastic. Um, and on top of it, the lineup is, like, amazing. It includes Alyssa Wong, who, if you have not read yet, like, you are going to die. Um, Chuck Palahniuk has a story in here. Poppy Z. Bright, who's, like, very famous in the queer literature community. And just a ton of other authors. There's also um, some cool nonfiction in here, which I think is nice, um, including one by Sigrid Ellis, who, is, shout out, is a contributor um, or has been in the past. Um, and uh, so, like, you know, talking about, like, body horror or like subversion in horror and all of these different things um and there's also illustrations like it's just the whole package uh with a really 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 killer lineup it's just i mean it's just great um so i'm gonna leave a link to it in the show notes it's like available for purchase online really easy to get and they also have additions for fantasy um and science fiction, and then they're doing a whole nother line of POC destroy science fiction, horror, and fantasy, um, some of which are not out yet, but you can like keep your eye out for them. So that is uh, Queers Destroy Horror, and I will leave a link in the show notes. Oh, and it's time for our next sponsor. 
which is Last Seen Leaving by Caleb Rorig. I'm going to guess is how I say that. I apologize if I got that wrong. Uh, And this is a YA novel that they are billing as Gone Girl meets 13 Reasons Why, which is a very interesting combination. Um... It's about a boy named Flynn whose girlfriend, January, has gone missing. Uh, And the police show up at his house because he was, is, maybe was, maybe is, did they break up? Anyway, everybody thinks he's her boyfriend um, and that they were, and they were together the night before she disappeared, uh, unbeknownst to him. He has not realized that she has disappeared. Uh, And so now he is under investigation and he's also trying to protect a secret of his own and try to figure out what has gone, like, where has she gone? What has happened to her? Uh, So the book is uh, a twisty mystery. It's also got a lot of drama, as you might guess. Um, And there is also one of the, so hmm, I can't decide if this is a spoiler or not. No, I don't think it's in the talking points. Okay, so (laughs) Flynn, the reason that they broke up is that Flynn is struggling to come to terms with his own sexuality. So that is also an underlying theme in the novel. It's not just about a missing girl it's about you know the person who has who is left behind and like what they're trying to figure out about their lives so there's a bunch of different elements going on it's got a really cool cover actually speaking of creepy like fall things i really like the way that they did this cover it's excellent uh and so you should check it out so that is last scene leaving by kayla brorig and the next question is me again okay (laughs) here we go this question is from jenna I'm an avid reader and read a lot, but I'm looking to expand the types of books I read. I mainly read classic novels and also some high fantasy and science fiction. Uh, I'm a classics major in college, and since I'm reading so many dead Greeks and Romans for school, I'd like to read something a bit lighter and quick to get through in my very limited free time. I'm, like, skimming a little. This is a long question. Um, What are some well-written novels for me to sink my teeth into? Uh, Not necessarily short, but just something a bit easier to get through than, say, Virginia Woolf. Okay, Amanda, your turn. Okay. Um, I feel these feels. I read nothing but classics for most of my reading life until about maybe six years ago. So uh, that transition is tricky from reading nothing but the classics to reading stuff by people who are still alive. Um, And I do have some suggestions for you. And I'm so excited I finally get to talk about this book because it comes out today. So you can go get it. And it's The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and, oh gosh, it's so good. I read this probably, like, six months ago. I got, I got an early advanced copy. And it was my favorite book of the year then. And it's October now. And it's still the best book that I've read this year. And I love it so much. So um, the main character's name is Nadia. She's uh, 17 years old. Her mother has recently committed suicide. And she's in, like, a rebellion spiral in response to it, not knowing how to deal with her grief. Her father's very distant. So she takes up with the pastor's son named Luke. He's 21. He used to be like a football star and had like high hopes for going off and doing that. Um, But he got injured and is now waiting tables and trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. So they have, you know, like a summer romance or whatever. It's not serious. They're young. But then she gets pregnant and he's the pastor's son. So there's consequences to that. They make a decision about the pregnancy. There's like a cover up. um, And Nadia hides all of this from everyone, including her best friend, Aubrey, who is deeply involved in their church and is deeply like spiritual and religious. And so they carry this secret, the three of them, Nadia, Luke and Aubrey carry the secret up through their adulthood um, and then have to deal with the consequences as, uh, as they grow up. And the, the thing that I really love about this book is that it's told from like a plural consciousness, almost like a chorus and the quote, like, like Greek tragedy. Um, But the chorus is the older women in their church who speak 
as we. Like, so we saw Nadia do this, that, and the other. We saw Aubrey do this, that, and the other. And that's the narrator, is the older women in this black church um, and from this community. And I've never read anything like that outside of Greek plays. And I thought it's just so genius and it's so well done. And the consciousness of older women who have gone through their own stuff watching these three young people make mistakes and, and like do the thing and live life and there's nothing they can do about it so they just like love them from afar and it's just brilliant um the book deals with abortion in a really upfront no-nonsense way which i appreciate because despite the fact that it's every woman's right in this country it's still very taboo in literature um and so everything about the book is amazing it's the, the sentences are beautiful i highlighted it like a mofo um so i really think that you will just love it if especially um you mentioned Virginia Woolf, and I, it's like got that it's got like a feminist, interesting voice thing going on. So that's the Mothers by Britt Bennett. It's so good, y'all. <laughs> I love. I should do a post on Greek chorus books in modern times because I was like, oh, I can think of like three others right off the top of my head. I love me a good Greek chorus narrator. It's hard um, to do. It's hard to do well. It is super hard to do well. But I have read them. Okay. Anyway, okay, that's <laughs> it. Somebody ask that question so I can like <laughs> go off on it. Um, my first pick for Jenna is uh, the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. I really love this book. Um, I thought it was just so well done, and I. It may be a little too close to home. I couldn't decide. Like, sometimes you want what you've been reading, but with a different twist, and sometimes you want it to have nothing to do with it. Um, if you're open to a classic with a twist, this is about the main character is Patroclus, um, who is the, you know, sort of, I guess, what was he like? The, the, what's the word? He's like the companion. I yeah, guess. the companion. I was like, it's is he like his like valet kind yeah, of? Yeah, kind of. Anyway, he's he's his, his, he's his Achilles' assistant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, the book starts when they're children and meet for the first time, and then carries through uh, the Trojan War, and and. And one of the twists of this book, and this is not a spoiler because obviously the story has been around for a long time, but Patroclus dies, which like sends Achilles over the cliff and like, you know, contributes to all kinds of things happening in the Iliad. Um, and his shade is narrating this book. Um, but it's really a love story. Uh, it is it is just a beautifully told one. And I thought Miller did a really good job of balancing, like, a more modern take on what that relationship might have been about with still, like, having all of the classical details. So it's just a really engaging read. It will not take you long, and I think you'll dig it. So that is The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Okay, scrolling, scroll. I lost my place. Okay, oh, yes, my second pick is uh, This Is How You Lose Her by Juno Diaz, which is a collection of linked short stories. Um, and it's so good. It's been a while since I read it, but let me see if I can pull up the details. So they, uh, they all the, sh- the linked short stories all kind of focus or center somehow around Junior, which, who is a character from, this is going to drive me crazy. What's his novel? Oh, my gosh. Oscar Wow. Thank you. Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. Um, he brings him back in this collection of short stories. Who is growing up in Jersey. His family is from the Dominican, so he's growing up in that community. And Junior is the worst, can I just say. Like, he's a womanizer, and he makes excuses for himself, and I just cannot with him. Except I can't stop reading about him, which is a marvel, and I love when an author does that, because... I'm kind of a shallow reader, and if I don't like a character, I might give up. But I don't like him, and I still am, like, so here for watching him and his mistakes and recoveries. And he's sympathetic, despite being kind of a doofus. Um, anyway, so his, 
Junior and all of the characters that surround him that all of these Link short stories are about are just kind of doing life. Like they're working class, they're dealing uh, they're dealing with love and being cheated on and paying the bills and like weird relationships with their family. And like there's one short story I remember about a woman who's washing her lover's clothes while she like meditates on his wife, which is just like so heartbreaking. Um, there's a story about a man buying his son his first baseball glove, but his son is like a love child, kind of for like lack of a better whatever term. Um, so there's a lot of like intricate and difficult and complicated family stuff going on, um, all centered around Junior and his choices. Who He, like, falls in love with a woman, like, has a, a love of his life that he he messes up the relationship, and then the consequences of that, like, follow him through all of these stories in a really heartbreaking way, even though 50% of the time I was like, you deserve it because you are not great. Um, and here I am, like, judging a fictional character. Like, they're a real <laughs> That's, like, like, our job. <laughs> I know. It's, like, hard. But, um... Juno Diaz's sentences are excellent, and I really appreciate the untranslated Spanish in in his uh, books because, uh, well, that's another rant for another time. Anyway, <laughs> if you don't speak Spanish, keep like a, a Spanish to English dictionary beside you because you might need it. So or that's, Google this is, it. Yeah, or yeah, f- your phone. There are so many apps. Anyway, it's totally worth it. Um, so that's This Is How You Lose Her by Juno Diaz. Okay, my second pick for you is one of my favorite books from this year. Uh, it is still in hardcover, but you should be able to get it from the library. And it is called Homegoing by Ya Jesse, which is spelled G-Y-A-S-I. It'll be in the show notes. And it's amazing. It is this epic family story that starts um, back in 18th century Ghana and continues all the way to, like, modern, maybe slightly future uh, America. And it's about two sisters, well, they're half-sisters, and they don't know each other exist. Um, And one is sold into slavery, and the other one is married to a British slaver um, in Ghana. And so, and then each generation after gets its own chapter in the book. Um, And it is incredibly moving. It's beautifully written. And the characters, it's funny because, you know, you don't spend a ton of time with any one character. Like, they each get basically one chapter in the book, which is long. It's not short, but it's only 300 pages, and you're covering a huge amount of time. So you don't really get an extended moment with any of them, but I still feel felt like I really knew all of them. Um, and it's, it's a hard book to read because it is about slavery. Um, and it's about, you know, several generations worth of people who are moving in and out of, you know, uh, enslavement or also just, you know, situations in which there are clear prejudices and systems stacked against them. Uh, and so it is, uh, it's a hard read um, in terms of the emotional impact, but it's not a difficult one in terms of like the flow. Like it flows really, really well and she really keeps it moving. And I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was incredible. Um, I think everybody should read it. So that is Homegoing by Yeah, Jesse. Okay, question six. This is from Martha. Um, she says, in the storied life of A.J. Fickery, we get this quote from one of the characters describing what she wants to read. Um, and the quote is, when I'm choosing something new, my favorite kind of character is a woman in a faraway place, India or Bangkok. Sometimes she leaves her husband. Sometimes she never had one. I like when she has multiple lovers. I like when she wears hats to block her fair skin from the sun. I like when I like when she travels and has adventures. A little romance, but not too much. No cell phones, no internet. Ideally set in the 20s or 40s. Uh, maybe there's a war going on, but it's just a backdrop. Those are the books I want to read, too. I've read Out of Africa and Kate Morton, which comes close, but would love your ideas. 
Okay, um, I'll just keep going. My first one is Cocaine Blues by Carrie Greenwood, which is the first book in the Franny Fisher detective series. And this hits pretty much everything you're asking for. Um, the Honorable Miss Franny Fisher is in, she lives in Australia. It's 1920s. And she grew up in poverty, but because of World War One and the death of so many men, um, she has like inherited a bunch of money from a branch of her family tree that was that she kind of like wasn't even aware of. But then all the dudes and it died in the war. So it comes to her. So she's like newly rich. She's very progressive um, and very like social justice oriented. She's beautiful and does what she wants. Very independent. Uh, never wants to get married. And she has to solve a mystery centered around like Turkish baths and abortion and some drugs. There are also a pair of uh, communist cab drivers that she befriends and like who become kind of her assistants in her detective adventures. Um, it's kind of an Agatha Christie-ish thing, but for the 21st century, if that makes sense. And there's tons of descriptions of food, tons of descriptions of clothes. She has casual sex and does what she wants. Um, and I just like love her so much. And it's also a TV series uh, that you might have seen on Netflix. Uh, you can go watch the for I think three seasons of it. That's really really great. That's adapted really well. There's a weird the the TV series has a, a romantic element that the books don't have. So if you want less romance books, if you want more TV show. So the first one is Cocaine Blues by Carrie Greenwood. I did not realize that those were books. Now I'm really oh, yes. excited. <laughs> yes, yes have, they're great. I've had people telling me about the show, but I just don't have time. But I would yeah. love to read the books. Um, they're okay. so feministy, like so feminist. I love excellent. Them. Uh, my first pick for you is uh, just a classic, um, literally <laughs> and also personally. It is called The Dud Avocado. It's by Elaine Dundee. And it is basically Bridget Jones, if she was an American, heading to Paris in the 1950s. Um, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Sally J. Gorse is her name. And she is like, she is just this, like, I think Flibberty Gibbet would be the right word. Like, she's <laughs> just kind of doesn't have her stuff together and doesn't care and is going to go to Paris and go to the cafes and dance with men and run off with them and then maybe find herself in situations she probably shouldn't be in and figure out her way back even though she doesn't have any money and like she just is all over the place she's a delightful mess and it's it's like so period it's like you know it is the late 50s in Paris um <laughs> And, and she's a clueless American girl. Like, I just don't know what else to tell you aside from that I love this book. And I think it really captures that kind of, like, lighthearted, adventurous, you know, woman about town feel um, that is what I think of when I read that blurb from A.J. Fickery. So, I mean, it's just so good. It's just so good. So that is The Dud Avocado by Elaine Dundee. Okay, my second one is also a classic. It's not as lighthearted as the other picks, but it hits a lot of the notes that you were asking for. That's A Passage to India by E.M. Forster. Um, I love this book so much. It's been a while since I read it, but I remember like being obsessed with it. So it's about a woman named Adela, and she is a companion to an older lady named Mrs. Moore, like back when that was a thing where you got paid to like hang out with old folks, which I would be so good at. Man, I was just gonna say I would do that job. I would be I really would good so at do that, that job. job. I love start tell me all your stories. Anyway, right. <laughs> I will make you tea, I will do the thing. Um, so Adela and Mrs. Moore travel to India to a town called uh Chandrapur, I think, uh, where Mrs. Moore's son has become the um 
oh, I don't remember the name of it. Not constable, but like the head of the English community in this town. And Mrs. Moore wants to marry Adela off to her son. That's the point. Like, they're going to India so that they can arrange this marriage. Um, Adela knew him from when he still lived in England, so it's not, like, entirely, like, a surprise or whatever. But um, she hasn't seen him in a while. So they get there, and it turns out that he's, like, very old-school boys club, racist, conservative kind of guy. And she, Adela, starts to have, like, second thoughts about tying herself to this guy for life. Um, and so while that's happening, like this weird relationship drama that all the characters are trying to figure out, Mrs. Moore and Adela decide that they like, they want to leave this English gated parochial community and like go see the, you know, like the real India or whatever. Um, so they make friends with an Indian man who's a Muslim. His name is Dr. Aziz. They make friends with him and they ask him like, take us out to go see the real side of, of India, um, as, white tourists tend to do. And so he takes them to um, the series of caves that tourists go to that have historical and cultural and, and religious significance. And while they're in the caves, Adela accuses him of assaulting her. And so there is an immediate scandal. Of course, all the British people in this community assume that he's guilty because what Indian man doesn't want a pretty young white girl? And there's a court case um, and then, of course, like far reaching consequences for every single character in the book. Um, so it's obviously a little more serious than the Franny Fisher uh, novels or any. It's not lighthearted. It's not um, like girl goes on adventure, except it kind of is. Girl goes on adventure and then has like a serious thing happen to her and has to grapple with her own conscience and her own her own conscience um, and the consequences of the choices that she makes and the consequences of the choices that her government and her society make, which is a heavy thing for one person to carry. But carry it, she does. Um, but it does have that, like, girl goes to foreign land and wears pretty dresses and, like, drinks tea out of bone china while she's traveling for some reason because that makes a lot of sense um and so it's just and also it's just really well written like ian forster is of course super well known and could could write a sentence the man could do it so that's a passage to india by e.m forster all right my next pick for you is one i haven't read yet because i only just found out it existed and i'm so excited about it and i have it on hold at the library did you know that simone de beauvoir did an american road trip and, like, kept a journal, and it has been published. Like, no. I didn't know this was a thing, but it is. It's a thing. No. It's called America Day by Day by Simone de Beauvoir, like, one of sure. the, you know, feminist icons of our time, um, of all time. Uh, it's translated by Carol Kosman. And so the deal is, is that in January of 1947, she uh, landed in New York and then took a four-month journey across the United States, like coast to coast. Um, so she went to, like, cocktail parties in New York and then got out of Greyhound and, like, you know, went to New Orleans and Hollywood and, like, gambled in Reno. And I just... <laughs> I know! I know! She, like, hung out in Chicago with, like, all of the petty thieves with her lover, Nelson Algren. Like, I cannot. I cannot. The description of this book makes me so delighted. I cannot wait to read it. Um... And, yeah, and so she, so it's based on her diaries from the time, and, like, it's got all of these, like, pithy observations, and then all these, like, beautiful, like, sentences about, like, you know, the 
cliffs of the canyons of the southwest like I can't even handle it oh my god I'm so excited about this book um so so I thought it might be kind of a cool reversal like all of these other books are like women abroad in Europe or or other you know or India or wherever um but like what must it be like to see America from the point of view of uh you know a French woman who comes and is and also is like a you know a feminist and existentialist thinker coming to look at America that way like what a cool reversal so I'm super excited about this book. I think other people should be excited about it, too. That is America Day by Day by Simone de Beauvoir. The mental image of her at a, like, craps table in Reno. Right? <laughs> it's just, like, the best thing that's ever happened to my brain, at least this week. Um, I want it on a t-shirt. Like, I want a picture of her at a craps table. What is your t-shirt? Don't even ask. It's Don't just ask too, me. Too okay, so that's our show. Thank you for listening. You can please go uh, rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It makes the show easier to find when people search for it uh, on iTunes. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL with two N's. Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.